Buzzard podcast on the planet. This is Buzzardry. Here are your hosts, Ben Milam and Patrick McGee. Hello and welcome to another episode of Buzzardry. It is Wednesday night, October 6th at the time of this recording. My name is Ben Milam here with my partner, Patrick McGee. Patrick, how you doing? Doing good. Glad to be on. Week six of college football as Southern Miss will take on the UTEP Miners, the four and one UTEP Miners, uh, looking like a, a very likely bowl eligible team. Um, they have taken a big step forward. Seems like we'll touch on that game, briefly preview that one, and... Uh, it's been really quiet as far as conference realignment. Yeah. We'll, we'll touch on a few of uh, maybe the, those tidbits. Um, but this is the Big Bad Buzzardry Baseball Fall Preview. Uh, the first <laughs> fall preview games, fall practice, started this week. Um, and for those of you who are wondering and maybe freaking out a little bit that we're skipping basketball, I promise we're not. We're going to do a preview on that next week. And we, we briefly touched on basketball, but we will do a full preview on that. Um, so don't miss that, but we are, we're just doing baseball this week because fall practice is underway and they have some scrimmages going on this weekend. Me and Patrick are going to try to make those. Uh, but first on this UTEP game, 4-1, and one, the line has gone back and forth. It's pretty even, opened up as Southern Miss being one-point underdog, then went, the money went towards Southern Miss, and now it's back as UTEP being a 2 Point favorite and so this is to me I just kind of have no idea what to expect this this game could go so many different ways Jake Lang will make his very first start he said some great things after practice today uh, he's just an impressive kid and obviously came in and and played really well uh, considering the circumstances against Rice so Patrick to you what stands out in this game yeah, well, I think it's going to all depend on uh, how Lang plays uh, just how, or how you can develop, develop a game plan. You know, um, Hall was kind of more aggressive uh, than you would think, um, given that, you know, he was a guy that was kind of lower on the depth chart. You know, probably started the year fifth on the depth chart. Uh, kind of reminds me of those stories you hear about Farr from the 80s where he, you know, they say he started whatever, six on the depth chart and made his way as a starter. But, right. um, you know, we threw the ball 35 times, so I think um, – his ability to get the passing game going, see if he can get anything on the ground. But, yeah, I mean, it's, this is one of those kind of three games where you look at where you – three games left on the schedule where you still have a – you figure you have a chance to win with uh, this game, UTEP. Um, and then the other two would be FIU at home. Mm-hmm. And um, what was the other one? That North was, Texas, I think. North Texas at home. And then uh, possibly MTSU. So this is one of those uh, prime candidate games where you think you have a uh, – a real chance to win, and just an opportunity uh, for Lang to uh, make a good showing against a, a winnable opponent, I think. So, yeah. There are two different ways of looking at it. It's you, you have an advantage as far as the way you, you are going to approach the offensive game plan, as in you do probably make somewhat of a shift as far as play calling. Um, you know, because, you know, you've had the third quarterback that will start for Southern Miss – 
uh, this year in game six. And those first two, much more mobile, much more athletic, and you could do some things on the ground with them um, and did because of those attributes. Lang, not as much, uh, much more of a pocket passer guy, but more accurate. And you'll maybe see some more aggressiveness in the passing game, maybe a little bit less intermediate stuff. I thought you saw some more over the middle um, attacking the defense over the middle than, than you have with Keys and you, you, you saw with Lowe um, through a game and a half. The other way of looking at that is for the third time this season, you have to shift your offensive game plan. And you're on your third quarterback who was fourth, fifth string scout team guy in fall camp, and much has been made of that. Uh, you can put that aside. He's the starting quarterback now. But either way, you have to adjust to his strengths. For the third time this season, that is so, so difficult to, just to build any kind of consistency or momentum on offense. Uh, familiarity for those skill guys that are running those routes or even Frank Gore, uh, you know, the run game is going to look different because of what Lang uh, does in the pocket and, you know, that he, the fact that he's not going to run it as much. And so there, there, there's good and bad to it, and – you know, Coach Hall and his offensive staff will obviously try to exploit uh, the positives and, you know, what you feel like you can do against that defense because of Lang. Um, but, yeah, to me, it, this, you know, it, it could be one of those games where you come out feeling a lot better about the offense, or it could be one where it's similar to the Rice game where you just say, okay, this is a rebuilding year, mm-hmm. you know, maybe – Lang plays similar to last week, looks good in some spots and makes some mistakes uh, just, you know, because he's green. And it's another frustrating loss. So it could, could go either way. Uh, but UTEP, a good team, um, you know, there's a reason that line keeps going back and forth is, is there's, there's no consensus um, as, as to which, which way this will go. But we were looking at the S&P Plus statistics before this. Yeah, they said, what was it, 27-23, give USM about a 61% chance to win. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a coin flip type game. You were talking about just adjusting. I mean, it is kind of, you know, coaching on the fly with all these different quarterbacks, and they all have different skill sets yeah. uh, and that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, – what did Hall say today in the presser? It didn't get any harder than this or something like yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, he was talking about um, Arvin Fletcher, um, you know, I guess leaving the program. But, you know, that combined with – all the uh, turnover at quarterback with all the injuries there. It is, uh, it's made for a uh, very difficult uh, first year, a lot mm-hmm. of unforeseen things that I don't think uh, – yeah, I don't think that Hall expected uh, some of these injuries uh, here in year one. So, yeah, tough breaks, but, uh, you know, you still got um, a chance to rattle off a couple wins this year, and uh, UTEP will be one of those games where you feel like uh, one of your better chances to uh, – get a win and, uh, you know, rebuild and, you know, win a few games at the same time. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, a chance to build some momentum. And that's that's huge if you are rebuilding a program. We saw that. I mean, you know, we've made the comparison ad nauseum of 2014. You win three games, but you, you played a lot of close games, too, that you, you know, you were in until the very end, much like, uh, you know, half of these games this year. Uh, which were frustrating losses in their own right. But you win three games, you compete, and you build some momentum that you can carry over into recruiting, some confidence for those young guys that come back the next year. Uh, that's that's a big deal. And so that there is, um, 
you know that that is is what you're rooting for if you're a Southern Miss fan, um, and and you know if you're inside the program too, is just to build that momentum. Um, and who knows, you know, you might Lang might be uh, Brett Favre esque and just absolutely <laughs> tear it up, and you know, you go play in a bowl game. That's that's not out of the question either. Um, you you you've still got seven games left to play, and. Utah, it starts with Utah, and I, you know I think you got to get that win if if that's um, you know going to be a remote possibility. But you're right. I think I think this is one you you that would go a long way as far as that momentum. Yeah, and I think you were just talking about keys. I mean, we don't know the exact injury. I mean, there's rumors around, right. but at this point, so he's played in four games. So if he sat out the rest of the year, he could uh, get this year back. Still eligible for the red for the red yeah. share with the new uh, rule from a couple years ago. Uh-huh. So yeah, I think uh, at this point. Probably, I mean, who knows what they want to – I mean, they may bring Keys back um, if he's healthy enough later in the year, but it kind of looks like this is a Langs team for the uh, foreseeable future. You know, hopefully he can stay healthy yeah. or else then, you know, you go down to T-Webb and then I guess after that you have Chandler Pittman as like an emergency mm-hmm. quarterback and then after he that – He played quarterback in high school, so, you know, he, yeah. he would be serviceable. Uh, Go triple option. It's uh, wait, what was the year – it might have been 2014 when Tez Parks played a few snaps at quarterback – was it, that 2014? It might have been because Mullins got hurt, and then um, and then Cole Weeks he got might, hurt. For, yeah, that, that, maybe it was just a series or something yeah, that, like that. That makes sense, though. Yeah, um, but it would, yeah, or even the Rice game in what was that 2010 or 09 when Austin Davis went out and Martavis Young got hurt too. And oh, in 07. Yeah, no, that was the, 07. 07. Yeah, yeah Jeremy Young uh, or Martavis Young, I think, started that game. And then he tore his, or I think he's pretty sure he tore his ACL or had some very serious like. Season ending injury, and then yeah, they put in Stephen Reeves. Yeah, uh, so Jeremy Young was the starter. He had a he, he had a hot yes, he had a high okay. high ankle sprain, kept him out a couple of weeks, and then um, okay, my mind was a little earlier were, than that. I was thinking yeah, the Martinez and who ended up playing when Austin Davis got hurt, he did play. Um, started very played really well. Yeah, uh, oh yeah. nine. Um, and then, but yeah, oh seven that was uh, that Tuesday night game against our Wednesday night game Boy, against Rice. Was, that was, that was a miserable. Loss. That was yeah. That was uh, that was not good. But yeah. yeah, and this is this is where the culture that you have built and started to turn around. This is where you really start to implement that, and, and where that starts to pay off. It, you know, you we talked about that last week, where this is the foundation you build as far as culture, and then when you go through these rough spots that you inevitably will in rebuilding. You, you go back and lean on that culture. And so uh, with that, you know, be it in uh, a post-practice presser or, you know, just uh, just in general, building that comfort and leaning on that culture and even having guys, some of your – a veteran like Arvin Fletcher, with which is a huge loss, you know, started 50-plus consecutive games, something like that um, – to lose him at the center position, especially, which is such an important position, you have to be able to, to lean back on that foundation. And so I think if you're a Southern Miss fan, you can, you, can, you can feel good that you have a guy who's leading this program who has implemented that culture, and that's, that is his thing, you know, is, is culture, 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 and it's for – tough seasons like this tough stretches like this where that pays off and and you know allows you to start building some momentum even off of those discouraging results um, and all of those different things swirling around that so 
I'll get off my soapbox here. What you were going to say? Huh? Yeah, I was just going to basically agree with uh, what you were saying is um, you got to have, yeah, you got to have a buy in in times like this. Because if you don't have any buy in, you know, team's just going to quit. And, you know, you go 111. I, I don't see this team quitting, um, even with a rough start. So I think that's, you know, we'll see. But I think that's kind of a testament to the uh, what Hall's done mm-hmm. um, in the year or almost year he's been here. So, yeah, I don't, I think, um, you know, I think the team's still bought in. And I think they're, uh, I think they're going to give it all their effort to uh, do as much as they can this year. So, you yeah. know, maybe you couldn't say that under the previous staff. So, you know, in that last year where it felt like guys were kind of leaving left and right and you didn't know if the buy-in was there. I feel like that um, team's bought into this uh, staff. So, yeah. Yeah, and you see, you know, what guys are saying post-game and, you know, what they're tweeting out. It's still positive stuff and, you know, saying, um, you know, similar stuff to what Gerald McGrath said in that interview. Um you know, don't bet against us because, you know, this is obviously tough, but we're, we're going to get there. And it's what Coach Hall said over and over again. Um, and he's not given a reason to think that that's not going to be the case uh, because he really believes in what he's doing. Uh, shameless plug, go listen to that interview with Gerald McCraft. That was so much fun. Anything else in the UTEP game before we move on? Uh, I think that's it. We just got to stop UTEP from getting to the New Mexico Bowl. You know, they're just yes, looking at this game and they're right. thinking, if we can just win this game, we can beat Rice. We're going to get six wins and play the New Mexico Bowl. We just got to stop them from getting to that New Mexico Bowl. So. <laughs> well, speaking of speaking of UTEP, uh, there were some some Mountain West, some some small tidbits. Like we said, it was it was almost eerily quiet. And and when it's quiet yeah. like that, you feel like there's stuff happening. Well, that's funny. I did. I got a, just got a message from uh, from Bradley Warshower who we had. Um, he was just talking about. Yeah, it's really quiet right now. I'm like, yeah. yeah. Well, or I haven't said anything back to him yet. But after this, I'm gonna <laughs> basically agree with that. But um, yeah. It, so Friday they uh, or Thursday um, they had said um, Boise and um, or a couple of days before Friday. I, maybe it was Thursday, but. They said Boise and San Diego State were not going to join the Mountain West, which was – I think most people agree that that was going to – or thought that that was going to happen because yes. yes. those schools are waiting on the um, the Big 12. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so that so that was kind of the big thing. So, the, But everyone thought that, okay, well, Colorado State and Air Force are still going to go. At that point, it was still heavily reported or thought that um, those two schools would go to the um, AAC. And um, that is, does they go to the Mountain West? Uh, okay. Go to the AAC. They're in the Mountain West going to the AAC. So then Friday morning, uh, it was reported that those two schools were going to remain um, in the Mountain West, which mm-hmm. was kind of a big shock. And uh, kind of made the AAC go to the um, to the drawing board. Or, yeah, so it's kind of slowed things down a little bit in terms of realignment. That's one of the dominoes that has to fall is the AAC because I think everybody yeah. is kind of I, – I think for most of these CUSA and Sunbelt teams, I think they still probably want to get in the AAC, at least most of them. Um so, um, yeah, that's kind of slowed things down a little bit. Yeah, the question now is is who does that open the door for to get into the AC? And there's the, you know, the four Conference USA um, schools that have been mentioned, Charlotte, UTSA, FAU, FIU. And now they're all excited because <laughs> they're going to get in the AAC but it sounds like it did, you know, it, it, you never know how accurate these reports are, but somebody said, or there was an indication at least that, that Oresco didn't, didn't have a backup plan or something like that and was fully expecting to be able to get at least Air Force and Colorado State. And so now this might extend the timeline a little bit uh, because 
you mark those top four and you don't get them, that completely shifts from what you were trying to do. And so there, there's still, you know, different directions you could go if you, you are the AAC. You could, you know, shave off some of those Conference USA teams or go, you know, you know, Liberty is, is um, you know, one of the kind of the wild card that people people say that nobody wants them. But it's also, you know, if, if you are down to your last choices, if you're the AAC, you know, it's big money and a successful football program. Yep. So can you really turn them down at that point if you are the AAC? And so, yeah, to me, this, this just extends that timeline. Yeah, and uh, another thing, so they were thinking they were going to get Air Force, and the big thing with Air Force is if Air Force would have came in, they would have gotten Army probably mm-hmm. because the Army, mm-hmm. would, that would be attractive for all three service academies to be under the same conference banner. Well, I don't think Army's going to join now. Then Air Force um, is not coming. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, are they gonna go, they're probably going to go big market just like they always do. You know, they're not going to get like an app state, like a smaller market program that's right. been really good. Um so we'll see. It was, it was funny just talking about UTEP since they're our opponent. There was Brett McMurphy had an article, and it was something about like yeah, the Mountain West they might like they might look to get SMU or Tulsa as like a first choice, but then you know maybe they'll look at North Texas UTSA. But then mm-hmm. they he specifically singled out UTEP. He's like UTEP they want to get in, but something like they're not going to get. Basically, they're not going to get in. They want to get in because of geographic reasons, right. but they are not. That's the one thing that's certain in this whole thing is that UTEP will not get in the Mountain <laughs> West. I was like, oh poor UTEP, poor UTEP. Yeah, but it's just, yeah, Mountain West. Right now they have the upper hand, and we'll see what the AAC does. We'll see if the Mountain West. Mountain West can make a run against Zaga. I know that's not sure. football, but, uh, you know, that'd obviously be a gigantic basketball move. Make it Wichita, uh, who's in the AAC. That'd be another big basketball move. So, yeah, just kind of really quiet right now uh, in realignment. And, uh, you know, now that we say this, uh, there's going to be a breaking Brett McMurphy tweet coming as soon as we stop recording. So Right. I would I would check Twitter right now if you're listening to this. There's there's some big realignment uh report that's out now. But that but it does that's really interesting to me because it almost feels like the Mountain West has a chance to change the power dynamic. And some yeah, and some people were saying yeah, they're gonna go after some of those AAC schools. And so what does the AAC do at this point? Do they keep trying to expand and does does this maybe you know, lend itself to uh, the the big regional restructuring that a lot of people wanted for the G five. Who knows? We don't know, and you know, we will we'll see where where that leads. Uh, but that it was a small and quiet week, but it's also a development that could lead to bigger things, right? And bigger shifts. Now we are going to move into a little baseball action. It's been, I guess. Four months, yeah, well, over four months yeah. since, since the season ended. Yes. This is your most successful program. Yes, yep. I was just thinking about this, and, you know, obviously you have the continuity with very few head coaches, and, you know, from, from Corky to Scott Berry, uh, it's pretty much the same program. But a big reason, big reason is you have an established culture and you have – a framework for the type of guys that you get to replace a lot of uh, the guys that you lose year to year, which, you know, that's just a part of college sports is you lose big uh, athletes that were productive for you a year before. And for a team that was really successful, a game away from a super regional, you do lose those guys, but you also are able to recruit and have guys that you can take the red shirt off of to implement 
and stick back in there and still feel really good about this team. Um, and so, yeah, anyway, just quick thought. That's, that was, um, you know, that is a, to me why the baseball program has been so successful is that continuity. And maybe you could say with men's basketball uh, and football, the other two big three sports, you, you don't have that yet. And so, uh, anyways, we'll move into it. We talked about it uh, before the show. You you lose your your big three arms mm-hmm. uh, who gave you the, the top three innings. That's top three uh, innings, yep. yep. Top three innings in, as far as uh, production. And uh, then, obviously, you know, you're all everything center fielder, Reed Trimble. And there's three pitchers, Ryan Ock, Hunter Stanley, Walker Powell, who, you know, it's it's hard to lose Walker Powell, too, because that's, you know, that's a piece of the culture. He's been there for six years. He came in with me. And now you have to replace those guys. And so we'll talk we'll – talk, we're, we're, we're going to go all the way through this. Yeah, so for – I guess people can't see it, but we – I have a, like – we have an 1,000-page – Oh, we broke it Or down. not a 1,000 page. Um, <laughs> 1,000 page. Not a 1,000 pages. It's like a Bible. Southern um, <laughs> Baseball Manifesto. Um, yeah. It's a 1,000-word uh, document with notes on all 39 players. We're going to try to – say uh get to every player every position battle um but yeah so like you're saying you, you lose some of your top guys but you do bring back pretty much all the guts here roster yeah so you lose the meat's still on the bone right so i mean I say. um so you know trimble ock uh stanley powell those are big losses but you bring back pretty much everybody else um so yeah we're we're going to run through these um we're going to run through these Positions, uh, position battles. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna start out with uh, pitching, and I'll I'll go through the players, and you can comment whenever you want to comment, and we can just talk about it. So, um, starting pitching, I think the two big questions I have with the team are starting pitching, just because you lose yep. your top two guys, and then how is the outfield going to be configured um, when you lose Tremble in center field? Mm-hmm. But so starting out with starting pitching, so I've got seven candidates that I think have a uh, that are going to be in the mix. You know, some of these guys, um, won't, you know, there's only three weekend uh, spots, one midweek spot. So some of these guys will end up in the bullpen. And, you, you know, who knows, somebody outside of this may end up uh, being a weekend guy. But, uh, first guy I have on here is um, as a starting candidate is Hurston Waldrop. He was a guy, starting out with him because Barry, um, I was listening to an interview Barry did with um, Tim Dury, um after the season. And this was a guy that um, – that Barry specifically singled out as a guy that can be a weekend starter. And you kind of saw that um, toward the end or the second half of uh, of the season. Um, we've heard he's up to 96, 98 in the, uh, in the fall workouts. Mm-hmm. He, you know, out of those guys in the bullpen, he really had, you know, arguably the, one of the better breaking balls. He showed um, good feel for a curveball. Um, he only logged 16 innings, 16-plus innings, um, in the spring, didn't uh, didn't pitch in the summer. Uh, that's typically Oz will do that if he you know he thinks you're a guy that um will use a bunch in the spring uh, just to keep those arms fresh. Uh, but yeah, he was a guy uh, you know he was electric uh, in that regional against Florida State um, yeah. in the conference tournament. Uh, had you know came back in the second or the third game of that conference tournament struggled a little bit, so he's kind of off and on. But um, there were a couple games where he looked uh, really electric, and I think he's a guy that you're really. Uh, has a good shot to be toward the top of that rotation. So, yeah, he's to me he has he has the best chance to be the Friday guy um, because he has he has Friday stuff. We saw the you know he was more of a two pitch guy 
last year and you know which is to be expected he's a freshman and, and really didn't get a lot of innings and you're you, you don't try to get any length out of him uh, he was a spot guy usually on the back end um, but it, it'll be really interesting to, for me to see if he has tried to add a pitch if you add a change up in there somewhere I mean if you have a change up that you can throw you know 10 15 percent of the time that you can uh, rely on to get ground balls and um, you know to get to, to, to two strikes, he makes a big jump to me. Because obviously that fastball is good enough. We saw him, you know, throw some, you know, 85, 90% fastballs in the latter part of the year. But if you're going to get, you know, real length out of him and if he's going to be your Friday guy, you, to me, you almost need to add a third pitch. Um, we've seen that with, with, with Coach Oz a lot. He, he'll, he'll add a third pitch if, if Brian Ott comes back. More than likely, he tries to add a, another pitch because um, he was another two-pitch guy. Uh, you try to get more length out of him. But obviously, Aki's gone. Um, but you saw that with Stanley, who, who added, um, added a pitch, more of a you know, just fastball, curveball guy, which he still was heavily a two-pitch guy. But to be a starter and to get real length um, you know, that you can really lean on, especially early in the weekend – uh, to me, you almost have to add a third pitch, and so that's that's what part of what we will watch this fall. Um, but if but if he does add a third pitch, even if he doesn't, to me he he has the best chance to be a Friday guy. And, and we won't spend three or four minutes on all thirty nine of these. Right, a four hour episode. But <laughs> Waldrop to me is really interesting. He's he's the guy I think you expect to be maybe the most solidified part of that three uh, that weekend rotation. Yeah, which is kind of weird just because he didn't throw a lot. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think, you it's know. It's almost just, purely based on stuff. Right, you, and yeah. then just listening to what Barry said in that right. interview, I think. And then you just, him not throwing in the summer, that's typically a move that Oz Strand will make. Thanks to have a big uh, chance to contribute. But, yeah, he, he showed a pretty nasty curveball at uh, at Oxford against Florida State. He got some guy to swing at a pitch that was, like, in front of the plate. Yep. So, yeah. Um, he's, yeah, he's got a, a big chance to uh, be a big contributor. Uh, next guy we have on here, uh, Dalton Rogers. So he is a um, he is a transfer from uh, Jones College, and uh, he was a guy pitched in the uh, or transfer from Jones College. He started his career at um, at Southeastern, uh, pitched a little bit in that COVID season, uh, but he was a guy that pitched in the Cape, uh, thirteen innings in the Cape, uh, had twenty one Ks, uh, walked fourteen, so some control issues, but he showed really good stuff. Um, and then some of the, some of the scouting reports I saw on Twitter and on other sites had him ninety ninety three showed mm-hmm. a plus change, uh, had a slider and a curveball. Uh, D one had him as the number fifty nine college prospect in the country um, yep. coming in uh, to this fall. So you know he's a guy. David Seifert of uh, D one baseball said he has a you know he can easily attract top five round talent. Yeah. So <laughs> when you look at just those scouting reports and from these smart baseball people talking about. You know, he can be a top five round pick. I mean, he's certainly a guy you would uh, think has a pretty decent chance to um, be a weekend guy um, at lefty uh, in your rotation. So, yeah, we'll talk about the, the two other lefties, but you to to have a guy like Rogers to come in, and you you almost always see Barry, you know, put a lefty in there, like and almost almost force a lefty in there somewhere because he likes to play matchup. Um, to have to have a guy like Rogers who can complement, you know, Drew Boyd and Chandler Best, who still still some question marks as as to you know if they can solidify themselves as starters. Chandler Best started uh, early last year and was 
you know, kind of kind of faded into a bullpen role. Um, so to have a guy with experience like Rogers, and I think D1 Baseball um, yesterday or the day before named him one of the top JUCO uh, immediate impact guys or something. Yeah, like they're that. going through. Uh, did they post a new one today? They might have posted. Um, yeah, he. I think he's for sure one of those top because he was number fifty nine overall in all college. So I would certainly expect him to be toward the top in that JUCO uh, transfer rankings. But yeah. Um, so yeah, he's a guy. Electric stuff. Uh, led the Mac Jack in uh, strikeouts. Um, showed a little more control at uh, at Jones mm-hmm. um, than he did in the summer. He was uh, he had thirty three walks in uh, sixty five innings at Jones, which is you know pretty average. So he's got um, yeah. So he's got electric stuff. If he can get that control, I think that's going to be one of the big things that Ostrander works on with because yeah. you know the staff they don't usually uh, tolerate walks a lot of walks. So he's going to be a uh, Fill up the zone a little bit more, but yeah, he's got big time stuff, and um, certainly a guy that could uh, you could see on the weekend. Uh, so the next guy we have on here, uh, more of a uh, I guess a known quantity, just because he's um, you know he was or how many innings did he log last year? Um, I forget, but anyways, Ben at three. Uh, so yeah, he was uh, the uh, I guess the the Saturday B guy because you had those two um, double headers on or the double headers on. Um, Saturday. Um, so, yeah, he's third-year sophomore. Uh, he's got 325 ERA, 104 whip. Um, yeah, we're, we're going to throw a bunch of numbers at you just um, – so, yeah, I think most people know what ERA is, but um, whip is walks, hits, um, divided by innings pitch. So, basically, how many runners you're letting on um, – how many runners you're letting on per inning minus hit-by-pitches because those are mm-hmm. kind of random – and the average in college, I think I have it written down, is 152 whip. So anything below like 120 is really good, um, or at least pretty good. And then, you know, like I was saying, Ether just closer to one, which is really good. But, um, yeah, so he was a guy. He actually pitched in the Cape. Uh, they had him at 88-92, um, had 10 walks, 19 Ks there in the summer. I think the big thing with Etheridge is can he – he really only showing a fastball and a slider. You look at his mm-hmm. numbers. So I've written down his, his numbers against regional competition. He made six appearances against regional competition. Had an 8 ERA, 206 whip against uh, regional teams. But then when you put him against non-regional teams, he was dominant. Had 175 ERA, .72 whip. Mm-hmm. So I think the key is I think probably got to try to work on a changeup with him. If he can develop that changeup, I think you see – um, he can be a lot more effective against those uh, top teams uh, that make regionals. So, yeah, breaking ball is one of the better ones you're going to see in college. I mean, he's he he really leaned on that last year, and when his fastball was on, he's he was so tough to hit, and you saw that. You just he, he to me never really got his fastball going against that regional con, uh, competition, or maybe you know just wasn't good enough um, to get it past guys. Um, you know that. Uh, on a better offense, and and so yeah, change up would help him just like with Waldrop, uh, but man, he he certainly has the stuff uh, to be a high quality starter. Uh, then uh, Drew Boyd, fifth year senior, he was a guy your Sunday guy, solid in that role. Four two one ERA, one eighteen WHIP. Uh, you know he's got to fill up the zone. He doesn't pretty doesn't walk pretty much anyone. Uh, crafty guy, he's kind of got that funky delivery almost, kind of that pause in the middle of the de- delivery that can throw hitters off. So he's a guy you could see him challenge for a weekend spot. Um, you know, he was a guy 2020 in that COVID season, started the year um, in the midweek role, and then he started the year in the midweek role last year until, you know, he had those four-game series. So um, ended up pitching on Sundays because of that. Um, but he's a guy I think, you know, could be, like I said, 
um, Sunday guy, mid, a midweek guy maybe, because you know, the staff has shown that they're comfortable uh, with him in that role. So, any thoughts on Drew Boyd, or is, just move, move on to the next guy? Yeah, I, I, I think Boyd adds a lot, even if he just, even if he does stay in that four-ish spot and, and throws in midweek. That's a guy you you feel really good about. The, in those big midweek games that you need to boost the RPI for a host spot. And so, um, yeah, to, to have Boyd back, you know, a guy that you you kind of know what you're going to get. He's going to throw strikes. Uh, he's going to pitch to contact. Uh, more often than not, going to keep it on the ground. Um, and he, he's going to keep you in the game, um, I think, is the biggest thing. And so, um, yeah, I, I expect a big year out of Boyd. Okay, uh, next guy. So this was a guy I didn't even know was on the roster until about two weeks ago. Late ad. Late, late ad. ad. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, or maybe just went under the radar, but I think probably brought him in during the summer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Hunter Riggins, he is a right-hander uh, grad transfer from Delta State. And, uh, you know, he has been a, he was been the ace for them for several years now, actually the last three years, uh, if you count the COVID season. He logged 295 innings um, in his career, which is actually top 20 if you look all yeah, across. That's a lot. Top 20 career active leaders, if you look across like NCAA, and D1, D2, and D3. Um, career 253 ERA, 116 whip, uh, led the Gulf South Conference uh, in 2019-21 in innings pitched. Uh, he's pitching big games there, uh, complete game shutout, only gave up two hits in the Gulf South title in 2019. Uh, in the championship series, the 2021 Gulf South uh, championship, he went seven innings, only gave up one run. Um, so he's a guy, he's a, a ton of innings at a lower level. Um, it doesn't look like he has, I mean, I can't find any information on velocity or pitches just because um, they don't have, there's not a lot of information on division two guys, but um, it does, I mean, he had a, a K nine of seven, so not overpowering stuff, but he has a, a walk over nine rate of just about two. So um, not overpowering stuff, but he's, he's not going to walk anybody or not walk a lot of guys at least. Um, and, you know, the Gulf South Conference, it, it is Division Two, but if you look at, like, Massey, it has the Gulf South Conference ranked above a couple of D1 conferences like the America mm-hmm. East. So it, it's basically like getting the the ace from, like, a um, you know, team like a Stony Brook or, like, an Illinois Chicago or someone like that. So he's a guy that, um, yeah, he, he either has a middle reliever, a long reliever, or possibly um, in that Sunday role or a, um, a midweek role could come in and be a big contributor. So, yeah. Yeah, these three last guys, Riggins, and we'll just touch on them briefly because we need to kind of speed, speed this up so it's not yeah. an hour and a half. Tanner Hall and Chandler Best, because, you know, if you're a Southern Miss baseball fan, you know Tanner Hall and Chandler. Um, Tanner, you know, heavy fastball sinker guy, um, which it was, you know, it showed one of the best two-seam fastballs I've, uh, you know, or a game with a two-seam fastball I've seen in college against um, – was it against Ole Miss or Florida State? Ole Miss. And then, yeah, yeah. Against and then went against Ole Miss. Yes. Um, and what, man, when that thing is on, unbelievably difficult to hit. And um, ton of sink. Keep, yeah, ton of sink keeps the ball on the ground. I don't think he's given up a home run his whole college career. He might not. So I have it written down. Seventy-four percent of his outs were ground or balls that were in play, not counting. Which is way outs. above the average. Yes, I looked at the averages. It's about. 50-50 overall, I looked yeah. at it. So, 74, he, he's a ground ball pitcher. He kind of reminds me of a uh, a Barry Bowden for some of you mm-hmm. um, people that may remember Barry Bowden, who was an ace uh, back in the day. Um, so, yeah, not he's not going to blow you by, but um, he's keep he throws strikes. He didn't give up a lot of extra base hits. 
And um, so, yeah, big sinker ball guy. Um, and he really, you know, had that huge uh, showing at the regional, one of the better uh, relief performances in recent memory. And then, so, okay, so Riggins, Hall, and then Best, who, you know, you, you keep hoping you get a big jump out of him. And I, and I think, you know, you see the ceiling. He comes in in that game against Alabama, and you saw the kind of stuff he has still, you know, is has the potential to be a weekend guy and, and give you a lot of innings. That is still there. Um, it's just a question of, of whether he can get it all together. And so those three, Riggins, Hall, Best, to me, just add a ton of depth to how you feel about starting pitching after losing two guys who just ate up innings and were so, you know, arguably two of the best front two in the country, especially in the conference, um, if not the country. Um, and so, you know, you, you've got, you mentioned it, seven guys that you feel can compete for those starting roles, which is rare, I would say, for most programs who lose what Southern Miss lost off that pitching staff last year. Yeah. So, yeah, to think, so you start out and just in terms of raw just stuff, you know, like we talked about, Wall dripping Rogers. Mm-hmm. Then you, you guys, um, once you work your way down the list, you know, you got a bunch of strike throws, guys that can get out. So yeah, you have a lot of options, a lot of different styles. Um, yeah, both lefties and righties. So uh, a little bit of a uh, variety in terms of uh, who you can go with in those uh, starting roles for sure. And guys, you can you, you feel good about too in long relief if yes. they if they shift to that. Um, guys that can they can still eat up a lot of innings for you. Um, even if they're not in the starting role. So speaking of relievers, we'll move on to those that yeah. group. Yeah, so we got 14 guys that are – it's basically um, – or yeah, so there's 21 pitchers on the roster. So we talked about the seven guys that we thought would have a pretty good chance of competing for a starting role. Uh, some of these relievers, you know, who knows, they could move into a starting role too. But these are the guys that um, historically have been relievers and probably strong candidates to do that uh, in 2022. So we'll start off with Tyler Stewart. Uh, he's a fourth-year, I guess, fourth-year sophomore because he redshirted, then he got hurt one year, or he had the COVID year. Um, I don't know, I think, but, yeah, I think this is fourth year in the program. Uh, big 6'9 guy, big fastball. I think he was up to, what, 97, 98 mm-hmm. in points. Uh, pretty good season in the Cape Cod. Uh, came in there late, but he pitched seven-plus innings in Cape Cod. Um, didn't give up an earned run, uh, 1.04 whip. Um, struck out eight. Um, had four walks, but, yeah. He's the guy I could see in that closer role, just gets hit. He yeah. the big fastball, and it needs to develop some breaking stuff to, uh, you know, really be effective. But, you know, with that uh, fastball in the frame, he's a guy that, um, you know, has the traditional reliever profile. Um, so, yeah, anything on Stewart? You just want to move, move on through these quickly just to save time. Yeah, we'll just we'll keep moving through it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Aubrey Gillentine, he's fourth-year junior. Uh, a guy that looked really good early on um, mm-hmm. in the uh, in middle relief in that non-con, uh, Northwestern State UConn. Jack State, um, kind of um, didn't wasn't used as much later in the year, but he's a guy low mid nineties fastball. Mm-hmm. Um, so another guy you can use there, middle relief, long relief. Um, and then you probably know more about this guy than I do, Nico Maza, um, true freshman from MRA. He was um, probably out of the true freshman pitchers has the best chance to contribute immediately. Uh, he was a guy number five on uh, the Mississippi high school class by prep baseball report perfect game. Uh, he's been 92, 94, bumped at 95. He's only, he's only five eleven, but you know, people kind of comped him to Shepard just cause he's a yep. uh, smaller guy and throw hard. Um, slider, I think is his out pitch. Um, so just something um, you've probably seen him pitch or if, if you haven't, you probably know. more. Yeah. Just, uh, just, you know, a, a guy that's further along than 
you would see most freshmen coming in, uh, you know, at, at a, a Conference USA program, um, just hugely talented, a guy you would you would maybe hope uh, to be a starter one day. And if he does contribute this year, more than likely not going to be in a starting role. You know, maybe you get some spot starts midweek, depending on how things shake out. Um, but, yeah, up to uh, up to at least 96. Um, oh, that wow. may have been – that may have been an off-season ball before his senior year. Um, but got the stuff. One thing that does what is really interesting to watch um, how Coach Ostrander handles him. He threw a ton of pitches in high school, like yeah. a lot, like hundred plus, multiple times. And and so, are do you, you know, are you lighter with him? Um, maybe you, do you give him the shirt? Um, and, and it's dependent on. You know what you have and, and what you feel like um, solidifies after the fall and, and you know in that early part of the schedule because things change so much in the first month of college baseball. But maybe you know if you feel like you have enough depth, he's he's a guy who you can um, you know just just uh, maybe focus on development with him. And you, can, you know, the parallel to Gabe Shepard is interesting too because that's a guy who you know came out of high school who was had had surgery and. You know, had had all of the all of the talent, um, which you know you could say the same for Maza, but then dealt with all the injuries, and we only got a glimpse of how good Shepard could be. And so, maybe you know that's that's you know still uh, you know in the back of your mind for for Barry and Ostrander, and you're maybe a little more care- careful with a um, a smaller power guy who who you know a lot of times we see those type of guys just because of how electric those mechanics are deal with more injuries maybe than your average power guy who's a little bigger. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to see how they handle him, but he's, he's a guy, if you need him to could probably produce for you. Yeah. Um, so next on here, we had, uh, Dustin Dickerson who, um, you know, he, everybody was kind of up in arms after that, uh, that conference tournament game. Everybody's, you know, wonder why we put in Dickerson. But I think he's the guy that they expect to uh, contribute on the mound. Just listen to Ostrander in an interview. Mm-hmm. He was the guy, I think, on Eagle Hour. They asked him something about, is he going to pitch in 2022? And he said, absolutely. Yep. So he was the guy, I think, um, just going off the uh, the gun at La Tech, I think he was at 97. So, But then you got him <laughs> subtracting like four or five. So it was like 92, 93. Yeah. Um, so he's the guy, I mean, maybe uh, a guy that could project as a closer a lot of times. You know, you see shortstops or third basemen. Um, yeah, shortstop, third baseman sometimes, and Kyle's will close just because they have a pretty strong arm on that side of the uh, infield. So uh, that'll be something to watch. Uh, see how he, um, so see how he factors in um, to the uh, to the bullpen. Uh, then you have Matt Adams. He's a third year sophomore. Uh, pitched nine innings. Uh, the Texas Collegiate League had 17 Ks, five ERA, and a 1.44 WHIP there. Um, he was a guy showed um, wasn't pitched as much uh, in 2021, but he showed some good things in 2020. Remember midweek game, mm-hmm. uh, he got a couple Ks, got a couple whiffs uh, in that Threw game. Threw well against Alabama in midweek, right? Yeah, yep. in 2021. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Blake Weehunt, he was a guy. He logged a bunch of innings uh, in the um, in the summer league uh, at the Gainesville. I uh, uh, can't remember the name, but the, the mascot. But anyways, he had a 377 ERA, 1.45 WHIP. Uh, in the summer league, um, 46 Ks, 19 walks. He's a guy, big velocity guy, mm-hmm. um, sometimes uh, a little iffy with control. Uh, but he's got stuff, uh, just needs to develop a little more, uh, you know, uh, develop a really good breaking ball uh, to uh, eat more innings up. So, Yeah, and I and I, uh, <clears throat> I said this right after the season ended, 
Weehunt to me is a guy who you feel like can make a big jump coming out of summer ball and seeing some different competition and also getting a taste of, uh, you know, the, the heat of uh, what it is to be a, a college reliever because you throw him in, start him in that final game against Ole Miss. And, and obviously like final. Um, it was it was the um, Sunday night. But yeah. And obviously didn't have it, but showed and showed, you know, in, in his other appearances that he has the stuff. And so if you, you know, can build that confidence and, like you said, develop um, a more consistent breaking ball that you can lean on, uh, he's a guy who can give you a lot of innings out of the bullpen. Yeah. So uh, moving on, Garrett Ramsey. Uh, he's a guy, fourth-year junior. He's a high transfer. I think, you know, everybody saw how electric he was in that non-conference part of the season. Mm-hmm. And, he, you know, he didn't have the stuff in the conference part of the season, but he's a guy – Low 90 showed a really good slider. I mean, people really? were making comparisons really? to, like, Bradley Roney. Um, so, I think he's kind of – I don't know if you say he's an X factor in the bullpen, but he's a guy, if he can show you what he showed you in that non-conference part of the season, mm-hmm. he can be a guy that could um, be a closer um, for you. Um, I think people have said that he didn't do as well in longer stints. Like, mm-hmm. a better relief two or three innings, more of a one-inning guy. Right. Um, so, that's kind of something to watch for. But, uh, yeah, he was really good in that um, – and those non-conference series, they hope he can get back to that. Yeah, that shows you how good this pitching staff was last year. I mean, he he led the country in saves for about half the season. Even even after he started to fall off, uh, he was still so far ahead that he he led the country in saves for a lot of the season. And even when he did fall fall uh, fall off a little bit and started to uh, maybe lose some of his stuff. You know the, the staff as a whole didn't really fall off because there was just so much depth, and I and I see that again this year. There's just to me a whole lot of depth. Mm-hmm. Um, Justin Storm, uh, lefty sophomore, uh, he got some uh, time last year or innings, um, mm-hmm. probably the correct uh, term there. Um, and some lefty lefty matchups uh, pitched. Um, let's see, ten plus innings uh, in the summer. Uh, didn't give up a run. Gave up a couple base runners. Had a zero ERA, but a one five nine WHIP. So he's able to work out of some trouble. But, uh, you know, he's a guy, uh, kind of a lefty specialist at this point in his career. Um, get some uh, innings there probably again. Um, just been lefty-lefty matchups. Then you have Will Tynes. He's a redshirt freshman. Uh, he made 10, 10 appearances, 9 starts in the Texas Collegiate League. Uh, 40 innings at a 4.95 ERA, 1.65 whip. Um, 27 walks over 39 Ks. So, um, yeah, he's a guy. Um, probably see a little bit. I mean, we don't really know much about him just because we've never – Seen him in a game at USM. Yeah. I don't know anything about his really velocity or what kind of pitches he has, other than his, you know, just looking. Or I don't know anything about him other than the summer stats. But uh, yeah, he's a guy I'm kind of seen for the first time in uh, in 2022. And then uh, Isaiah Rhodes, who's third year sophomore, he's kind of one of those traditional USM sad sad armor, sad mm-hmm. wander types. Um, he, I guess, he maybe only made one or two appearances. Um, in 2021, but he really finished strong uh, in summer ball. He played for the Vermont Lake Monsters, uh, where you kind of he kind of struggled early on. But the last, um, so overall, he was three four eight ERA, one eleven WHIP, um, and uh, in twenty plus innings in that league. But the last, let's see, his last fourteen appearances, he didn't give up a run, had a point five WHIP, uh, twenty Ks, and just five walks and thirteen plus innings in those yeah. last fourteen appearances. Really uh, did. Well, uh, down the stretch in that uh, that summer league, so he's a guy. Um, you know, traditionally we've had those, like I was saying, those closers 
with the sidearm, the undershooters, as they say. So um, could potentially be a guy you use in the back end of games. And now Keller Bradford on staff too. So yeah, develop those protege. Yeah, um, Landon Harper, JUCO transfer from uh, Pearl River. He's a guy that Pearl River kind of used um, in the back end of games. He had a three-two, three ERA, one thirty WHIP there. Um, Twelve Ks per nine innings and thirty plus innings there. Had five walks per nine innings there, which is um, you know need to improve on that a little bit, but. Um, yeah, he's a guy. Looks like he has, you know, pretty good stuff. Just judging by his JUCO stats, I don't know his velocity or anything, but he was able to get some whiffs on the Pearl River. Uh, then uh, Cross Sively, uh, he was a late ad from Summerall High. He's a lefty, um, six foot. Uh, he was a guy who was clocked at about eighty six, eighty eight in April, uh, according to something I saw. Uh, he's got kind of a slurvy curveball. Um, he's a guy probably red shirts in twenty twenty two, but uh, you know he could be a guy down the down the line to uh, kind of look at. Yeah, sub uh, sub one ERA and sub one WHIP too. Yes, yeah, I had that. Yeah, pretty and, impressive. Yeah, struck out forty two percent of the batters he faced in high school. So he was a, he was a dominant uh, high school pitcher there at Summerall. Um, Riley Dawkins is a guy, a true freshman, lefty out of Starkville High. He tore his ACL or tore his UCL um, in uh, spring twenty twenty one. So he has Tommy John surgery. Uh, so yeah, really dealt. You'll see him twenty twenty two just because of that. But he touched ninety. Uh, pre-surgery, so yeah, he'll be a redshirt guy. Um, and then last guy I have on here, a uh, pitcher. Uh, but this guy I didn't even know. Uh, he wasn't on the perfect game uh, list, but uh, he actually committed a year ago. So for, I think perfect game just made a mistake. But Bryce Fowler, uh, true freshman out of uh, true freshman lefty out of Germantown. He's up to 88 in summer 2020. Um, had 38 walks and 41 innings. So kind of a developmental guy in terms of just getting that control um, a little bit better, but. Uh, yeah, he's another uh, lefty. Uh, several three uh, three lefty freshmen in this class mm-hmm. uh, in terms of pitchers. So uh, kind of loading up on those uh, LHPs. So yeah. Um. So yeah. Any final thoughts on pitching before we move on to uh, the lineup? No, I just think you you still feel really good about this staff. As good as it, I mean that that was one of the best staffs in the country, t- statistically and um, you know in postseason play. And you obviously lose three huge pieces, Rhinoch, Walker Power, Hunter Stanley, but you, you, you more than have the talent to replace, maybe is a strong word, but, you know, because it's going to look different. Mm-hmm. You, you don't have a Friday and Saturday guy that you can roll out there and expect to win um, every weekend, but you have guys that you feel like could develop into – really high quality starters and out of the bullpen. And so um, that's more of an unknown, um, maybe the biggest unknown, uh, I think, uh, for this roster. Um, obviously, you know, there are a few spots in the field um, up for grabs, but uh, to me that's the biggest unknown. But you, I, I think you still have to feel really good about that just with the talent coming back. Yeah, I, th- I think the key is, you know, like you were saying, basically you, you need to find Friday and Saturday mm-hmm. – and um, uh, a Gestapo slash closer. Um, and so, yeah, I think the big key are those top two guys we talked about, uh, Waldrop and uh, Roger, just because they yeah. have the stuff to be really dominant um, if everything clicks. So I think uh, those two are kind of X factors. But then you got, like you are saying, you got depth with other options with Etheridge and Boyd and um, the, uh, Riggins, Hall, and uh, Bess. So, you know, if those guys, you know, don't end up being starters or don't end up being front of the end guys. You have other guys you can throw out there on the weekend. Yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, you have options, basically. Um, so, yeah, so moving on to the lineup, uh, I have it ordered by um, what are the positional numbers, right? So one, two, so, or I guess one was pitcher, but uh, two, um, three, four, and then, so, yeah. Uh, but, anyways, designated hitter is zero, I think, right, in the positional. <laughs> so, we're going to start off with designated hitter. I think uh, Charlie Fisher, I think pretty much everybody expects him to be designated hitter. He was a guy. Uh, he's fourth-year junior, uh, 948 OPS. Um, I think a lot of people were kind of upset at the end of the year. He struggled a little bit in that regional. But if you look at his – so this is a stat. Uh, batting average on bases – or balls in play. Mm-hmm. And it's basically how often are you reaching whenever you put a ball in play. And he had had a really high um, BABIP, which is mean – sometimes means that your offensive production is a little unsustainable. So I think – I don't think that's really a long-term reason to be concerned about him going forward. I think that's more just uh, a little bit of variance, a little bit of, yeah, just kind of luck catching up to him maybe a little bit. I think he's a guy, you know, he's a quality college hitter. He's a guy who take walks, can hit for power, can hit home run and get power, um, can yeah. go the opposite way. So I, th- I think he's a guy you still expect to produce uh, pretty well in that uh, designated hitter role. Uh, absolutely, and that I mean ab- above average OPS. Um, I think you you got a couple of boomer bust guys in this lineup. Chris Sargent, probably another one of those. But when they, I mean, when they're seeing the ball well and when they're when they're confident at the plate, um, man, they are they're tough outs and they give you a whole lot of run production. We saw both Fisher and Sargent do that. Um, Sargent more into the year, and um, Fisher, you know, more first half. Um, so you feel, you know, that's your Aaron Judge and John Carlos Stanton. <laughs> if they, if both those guys can put it together at the same time, uh, this that you know that meat of the lineup, those those you know maybe two through four, somewhere in there, you, you feel really good about that. Yeah. So then uh, we got catchers. So we got two guys on the roster listed at catcher. You got Blake Johnson, um, who was the primary catcher uh, for last year. He's fourth year junior from uh, from Gulfport. Um, 690 OPS, but he did have a, um, a 1,000. And so, sorry, we, had, we didn't ex- explain OPS, but OPS, yeah. it is on on base percentage plus slugging percentage. It's basically how often you're getting on base mm-hmm. plus how often you're hitting for power. And the college average is uh, seven, 776. CSA average a little higher than that. CSA kind of a hitter's league. I think it's about 805 was the, uh, yeah, 805. So, yeah, just as a um, explainer and kind of to put some of these numbers into context. Um, but, yeah, so he was a guy. 690 OPS was a little below average. Um, but he had a 1,000-plus OPS uh, in the regional. Really, I think he had two home runs in that regional. He had one against Ole Miss one against uh, Florida State. Florida State, that's right. I think that Florida State home run kind of got us to that comeback started. But um, he's a guy. He showed a little bit of power in Juco. So he's a guy. We talked about um, batting average on balls and play. He had a 280 batting average on ball and play, which is below average. The average uh, nationally, I think, I found is 327. So he's a guy could see possibly some positive regression. Mm-hmm. Uh, the team as a whole had a 315 um, BA. I'm just going to say bad bit. That's the way to speed, speed it up. But, bad bit. Um, but, yeah, so he's um, – yeah. He's first of the two catchers we're going to talk about. Then you have Rodrigo Montenegro, um, Gabe's brother uh, from Western Oklahoma State, had a 987 OPS in JUCO. He's a lefty bat. Um so it's going to be interesting to see how they uh, use those two guys. Do they platoon them based on handedness, or do they just kind of, um, you know, determine who's pitching that day, who the pitchers are most comfortable with? Because, you know, kind of since last year where Johnson called on Fridays and Sundays, or 
yeah, Fridays and Sundays, and then Stanley usually call it um, Powell just because that kind of that Arkansas connection almost. Right. But uh, so, yeah, yeah, and I, I, just based on um, just the past when you had sort of the two catcher system with Blake Johnson and Andrew Stanley, who's not back. Um, I would expect because again, Coach Barry loves to play the lefty righty matchup. Um, you know, based on who you feel like you need in the lineup or who you're facing that day. Um, whoever's on the mound uh, for your opponent, you know, uh, I, I would see both of those guys largely splitting time, maybe not quite 50-50 um, because, like you said, Blake Johnson uh, had a great end of the year and, and maybe has a chance to, to solidify that spot. But I think you also see Rodrigo get some playing time early. Um, it's, and it's you hope, you hope that that – one of those guys can really solidify that position because you haven't had a guy at catcher, um, you know, since uh, Chucky. Yeah, since well, but I mean, I would say you know Donaldson. He was kind of an yeah, everyday Don- catcher. I would, I would, he, I would say Donaldson um, would would qualify as mm-hmm, that. Yeah. Um, but you, yeah, you've had this multi catcher system for. Um, what feels like forever now, that is is hard to sustain. Um, you know, you, it, it doesn't hurt you a lot necessarily, um, but ideally one of those guys really nails that down that position. And so to get to that point, I think you see both of those guys play early in the year. Yeah, and I think, you know, catcher is a, is a grind. You know, it's good to have. Oh, 100%. Yeah. But yet, Especially just- playing four games a week. Um, yeah. You know, in college ball. So both of those both of those guys will see time. But yeah, the hope is is you know to have a guy who you know is going to play, say, in a regional final, right, or something like that. But yeah, uh, jo- yeah, Johnson just going back. He had that um that low BABIP, which would indicate that he was a little unlucky last year. So he could be a like I said, positive regression candidate mm-hmm. where he uh, makes a jump uh, in twenty twenty two. So um yeah, first base. I think most everybody expects Chris Sargent to play there. He's a seven seventy nine OPS. Uh, which, you know, you usually don't expect from first baseman, but he did have um, with that three-home run game in the regional. Um, he was another guy, um, a 244 bad bip, which, um, you know, another kind of unlucky or would indicate a little bit of unluckiness. Uh, but he had 16 home runs, I think, so he showed some big power. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't draw a lot of walks, kind of classic Juco masher guy that he can hit for power. Uh, not going to draw a whole lot of walks. But if he can bring that batting average up a little bit, um, I think, you know, he's got to really uh, make a positive uh, or make a jump, uh, bring, you know, more value to the team in, uh, in 2022. Yeah, and had a, he, he was – I mean, a lot of guys in that lineup last year had a really rough start um, to the year. But he, I thought, made some really great adjustments, was more patient at the plate in the second half, and you saw a big jump in those numbers and, um, you know, in, in the production. And, again, he, he was more of a boomer bust guy. Like you said, if, if he can get – the contact numbers up and put the ball in play just in general more. Um, he, he can make a big jump, was, which is, um, you know, if you can get a big jump out of a 16-home run guy, yeah. you know, he's got a chance <laughs> to be really, really good. Yeah. And he was a guy the staff said was the best hitter in um, the uh, right. scrimmages <clears throat> right. uh, before last year. Uh, then guy probably won't play in 2022, uh, Evan Radford. Um, he's also listed as an outfielder in the roster, uh, but I have him just under the first base. Uh, category but he's a uh, true freshman six five big guy right handed bat um so yeah probably a redshirt gap so keep an eye out on him in the years to come but then 
Second base, I think everybody expects McGillis, Will McGillis, to um, be back at second base. Uh, he was got 865 OPS, but I mean, he really played well in those last quarter of the season. So the numbers I had for the last quarter of the season. A 1373 OPS, so that's a slash line of 375, 444, 929. Or just or 375 batting average, 444 on base, 929 slugging. Uh, those last 15 games, the last 15 games he had a home run every seven at bats. He had an isolated power rating, which is um, slugging minus batting average is kind of just a way to measure power of five, uh, five, or five. 554, which is very, very high. Um, yes. So, I mean, the power numbers he was putting up in those last 15 games, I mean, they exceeded, you know, like Barry Bonds in 2001, Mark McGuire in 98. Um, yeah, 1373 OPS, I and mean, that's just for those last quarter of the season. I mean, that's just kind of unbelievable. I mean, you don't really see that ever. Maybe I think Adley Rushman uh, did that over a, a 56-game season at Oregon State. You know, he's the number one pick in, yeah. in the draft. So, yeah. uh, put that in context. So, he's a guy um, – He's another guy with a low uh, batting average on ball and play, uh, which he's kind of a career low guy on that. So it's either, you know, he may be, you know, I don't have the bat at ball numbers in terms of where he's putting the ball, but he may be hitting the shift a bunch, maybe uh, popping the ball up a little bit. But, mm-hmm. he, I mean, even 252, that's below his career um, bad bip. So even if he gets that up to his career average, that would, uh, yeah, you would see a jump. Couple that with, um, you know, the way he finished off. Um, 2021, I think he's a guy that could easily be a breakout uh, mm-hmm. star in 2022. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Any thoughts on McGillis? Or you just want me to move on to the uh... – No, I, I think similar to Sargent, saw him make uh, a few adjustments. And, and part of it was, you know, anytime you have that massive of a jump in numbers, it, it's a lot of that's just seeing it well and, and feeling good at the plate. Um, I thought he was more patient, and um, – it was also a mix of patience and aggressiveness because you saw him at, at times last year be too patient and uh, take some good pitches, but thought he jumped on uh, the fastball well, um, went the other way uh, a little bit better and wasn't um, as strong of a pull guy in the second half of the year, especially in the in conference tournament and regional play. Um, and so a, another guy who you feel like can build on that late season success. Uh, then you got Cade Crosby, uh, He's a sophomore, made had 11 plate appearances last year. I think he might have had one start possibly. He didn't play in the summer. Um, I don't know if he was hurt or if they just didn't play him in the summer for some reason. But he was a guy, uh, late flip in 2020. He was originally going to go to Sanford. Mm-hmm. Uh, we pulled him late. Uh, he's from Long Beach. Uh, possibly a future guy at that position when McGillis graduates. But um, then you have Brady Faust. I could, you could put him in the shortstop category uh, possible, but I have him here. Uh, he was a guy, pitch runner primarily in 2021. Had a home run at Rice, I think off the scoreboard at Rice. Um, so yeah, he's third year sophomore. He's a guy. We're talking about Dickerson as a um, a pitcher. He's a guy that could potentially play shortstop when Dickerson goes into pitch. Yeah. Um. So yeah, uh, that's uh, Brady Faust, and that's the um guys we have uh, in second base, third base. Um, and I think everybody expects um DJ Danny Lynch uh to get to be the everyday uh, third baseman. He's fourth year junior. Uh, really solid season last year. Nine sixty seven yeah. OPS. Really tapped into some of that power as you as you would expect as he gets older in his career. Um, so yeah, just a really solid uh, player. Think he could be an all all conference type of guy uh, in twenty twenty two. Got a got a chance to play himself into a nice signing bonus too. At, yeah. in the in the off season following the year because he's yeah he's got the tools and you saw you just saw a lot of those guys who you know, we're really young in 2020 and, you know, had some experience in 19, but just make a big jump in the second half of 21. And uh, Lynch is certainly one of those guys who 
you know, he's going to play third base. He's, he's going to lock that down. Matthew Russo, we'll talk about him in a second. But um, really talented guy. But, but yeah, Danny Lynch, that that's his spot. And, um, you know, one of the more consistent just got, you know, gloves at third base. He's going to make a lot of plays that you, you really shouldn't make. And so all around, he's a really talented guy and, and again, can build off of that success um, in 22 and has the potential in his bat to make – to take this lineup from from good to great, um, you know, as does Sergeant Fisher, McGillis, guys like that. Yeah, and then uh, so Matthew Russo, he's a true freshman from St. Paul School, North Shore of uh, of New Orleans, and he's he could he may project at first base, uh, but he played third base in uh, I think he played both in high school, but he's kind of a big kid, six three, two forty eight. He's got big power potential. You know, he's probably going to take the shirt in 2022, but he's a guy, he could be kind of that classic uh, power-hitting uh, corner infielder uh Pete Taylor Park uh, the next, uh, you know, a few years down the line. So that's uh, third base. And then shortstop, um, Dustin Dickerson. You know, we talked about his uh, possibilities as a pitcher, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, obviously primarily shortstop, third-year sophomore. He was a guy, 740 OPS, which, you know, considering the defensive position at shortstop, you know, that's shortstop and catcher traditionally yeah. have the um, – the um or most important or considered the most important uh, position defensively by the Saber metrics. So seven forty OPS at shortstop. That's that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, um, I think everybody kind of knows what to expect from Dustin. Um, does a good job at shortstop defensively. Then uh, two guys probably take the red shirt. True freshman. You have Creek uh, Robertson um, from Madison Central. Um, he's a guy uh, switch hitter. Um, I don't know a whole lot about him. I know that's kind of your area. Do you know, do you know anything about the about the player? Or? Um, not a not a ton. A little bit, um, but you know, I I think a, a high ceiling guy who is going to benefit from a red shirt and, um, you know, a guy you bring in that you probably expect to be the shortstop of the future after uh, you lose Dickerson. Um, but a guy a guy who's is you know he's going to add some depth there in the middle infield, and that's that's part of the reason I think you feel. Like you'll see Dickerson on the mound more often, as you have better depth in the mid- middle infield, um, where you you know maybe you shift McGillis to short and put um, Crosby Faust, one of those guys, maybe Creek Robertson at second, um, if you feel like you can't just plug and play them at shortstop. Um, but yeah, all those those three or four guys can just add some depth, and, and Robertson's one of those. Uh, Casey Ortiz, uh, true freshman from St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, that's another North Shore of uh, New Orleans guys. Uh, his dad is the uh, athletic director at uh, Southeast Louisiana for baseball coach there. Uh, he's a lefty bat, another guy. Uh, probably take a red shirt. So those um, those are your shortstops. Uh, and then we will finish up here, uh, outfield. And this is one of the – so we have six guys listed in the outfield, and this is another kind of one of those kind of like first uh, Friday and Saturday starting pitching and closing or in – you know, trying to find that closer and stopper uh, in relief outfield, just kind of how they configure it with uh, Trimble out um, is one of the big questions. So, leading off, Gabe Montenegro. I mean, I think everybody knows who Gabe is at this point. You know, he's a six-year senior, um, 650 plate appearances, grizzled veteran. Um, I think the question is, does he move to center field? He played – he's made at least one start. I was looking earlier today. He made a start uh, when – Trimble was out with an injury, started uh, at least one game in center field. So there is a precedent. I'm just uh, that's kind of one of the questions: is does the staff move him center field, or do they keep him in the corner? So yeah, well, let's let's run through these six guys, yeah. and we'll kind of talk about that. Yeah. So then, large. so you got uh, Reese Ewing, who uh, became the uh, kind of the everyday right fielder. 
Um, last year, 771 OPS. He's a JUCO transfer out of uh, – before he was here, it's Pearl River. And um, so, yeah, he had some good moments last year. Hit that home run, that opposite field home run off the top of the wall at, uh, at Ole Miss. So um, he's a guy that can produce for you there in right field. Um, Slade Wilkes, he was a guy, you know, highly heralded. Uh, true freshman last year out of Columbia Academy. Had 65 plate appearances, but, yeah, just talking about his high school profile, he's the top 25 player in the country by perfect game. Mm-hmm. Um, had a pretty good summer, uh, 806 OPS. Um, and typically in the summer leagues, um, offensive numbers are down because they use the wood bat. The league average was a 727 OPS. So if you extrapolate that, that's an OPS plus, which is basically how high are you, how much higher are you than the league average. It's just an OPS plus of 111, which – Comes out to about 893 in CUSA, which in layman's normal people terms, that's like, you know, 290 with seven or eight home runs in like yeah. a 56 game CUSA season. So, um, guy that, yeah, made a nice jump there in summer ball, had those two clutch home runs um, against in those two games against La Tech. So, um, yeah, obviously, ton of potential there, ton of power. Um, he hope to see that in 2022. And then uh, Carson Pato, he was the guy that redshirted last year. He was uh, had a 938 OPS uh, in that for that Gainesville uh, summer ball team in Georgia. Um, played center field there, played a little bit of I think left field there, played a little bit of first base uh, there. So he kind of played all over. Uh, so he got options there. And then the next guy, Colin Husser, this is another true freshman. He might be a guy that redshirts. He might be a guy. I mean, it depends on how he develops, but. He's probably out of the true freshman position players, has the highest ceiling, um, or at least on paper he does. Um, so he was 235 in Baseball America's draft rankings, 434 by perfect game. He's out of Ponchatoula, Louisiana, um, which is not kind of close to that kind of close to that North Shore area of, uh, of New Orleans. But he's 6'5", he's only 200, so I think the thinking is once you get him in a college weight room, he's going to um, you know fill out a little bit. They say he's got raw power. Um, plus raw power, plus arm, plus speed, uh, projects in the corner. So he's um, a, kind of a developmental guy, um, but he's got big potential. He's a guy, I mean, re- just reading these scouting reports of him, it, they kind of remind me a little bit of like a right-handed Mount Walner. Mm-hmm. He's kind of a big um, corner outfield um, power hitter. So, um, yeah, he's a guy I think uh, people are really excited about. And then this was another guy, uh, kind of a late ad. They brought him in during the summer. Um, I didn't even know it because – they released the roster two weeks ago, so a couple of these guys were surprises. But uh, Matthew Cedarberg, uh, out of the College of Central Florida Junior College, uh, he had a, a one or a ten thirty seven OPS in junior college. So big numbers in uh, JUCO. Played all over. Played third base, outfield, designated hitter. Uh, the USM roster has him listed as an outfielder. So uh, he's a guy. I mean, I don't know much about him just because they, you know, I just found out he was on the roster about two weeks ago. But he's a guy. You know, could add depth, or you know, he could be a guy that ends up starting for you. So. Um, yeah, guy that put up uh, some big numbers in uh, junior college there in Florida. So, Yeah, just, just overall, first of all, Cedarburg probably an answer to Trimble leaving. You bring in you know another guy who can compete for one of those positions in the outfield. Um, but it's, yeah, like you said, a little bit up in the air. I mean, you'd like to keep Montenegro in left um, just because he's been so good there for so many years. Also, you know, also not as rangy. Um, maybe wouldn't typically see a, a guy with his tools in center field. Um, but just, I mean, a lot of youth and a, and a, a bunch of really, really high ceiling. Slade Wilkes, um, a guy you would hope um, can really push to uh, 
you know, to grab that right field spot, um, you know, he'll, he'll kind of battle it out with, with Reese Ewing. And to me, center field, Peto, Peto, um, Husser, Cedarberg, um, three really talented guys. And, you know, Cedarberg, the, the Juco, um, bring, Juco guy brings in a lot of experience to push those younger guys. Um, but there's, there's talent all around and you've, you've got the pieces. Um, it's just a matter of, of fitting them, um, you know, where, they are the most productive um, and are efficient you know, in that lineup. Um, and I think, and I think the outfield, we see this a lot with coach with uh, Scott Berry teams is how much things shift around in the first month. I mentioned that a little earlier. But I think, I think with this outfield, I think you, you know, Sands Montenegro in the leadoff spot um, in either left or center field. I think you see maybe a, a, a combination of all five of those guys, um, you know, being plugged in at some point and, and seeing how they do against, um, you know, the first part of that non-conference schedule. Um, and then you, then you just go from there and, mm-hmm. you know, and I think you, but you feel good about the talent and the ceilings of those guys. Obviously, you, you know, you talked about Slade Wilkes and um, was a guy you maybe you were hoping just with, with how great he was in high school um, and as highly rated as he was and just the tools he brings in, you were hoping maybe he would start and write um, last year. But I mean, he did start the year, but yeah. he's Yes, right. but yes, consistently throughout right, the right, season. Right, like 56 games. You right. were hoping, yeah, he would be the, he'd be the guy right in right field. And I think that's still the hope is, is for him to lock down one of those positions in the outfield. Um, for a lot, more than likely, he's a corner guy, but maybe, maybe he's, a, he's a guy you shift to left if you have Gabe in center. Um, but just, just didn't really, you know, he had a hard time catching up to division one pitching as a freshman, which is, you know, uh, uh, some people were saying, Oh, maybe he's overrated, but, uh, not a, not a lot of guys would have the expectations that Wilkes had coming in. Um, so a guy you hope can make a big jump and, and live up to some of those expectations, but a lot of talent. Um, it, it's just a matter of, of seeing where the pieces fall, and so I think you'll see, you'll see a lot of that shift around in the first month. Um, and it's, it's also dependent on fall ball. You know, we'll mm-hmm. see how, you know, this weekend of scrimmages go and, and uh, what the word is after um, fall practice wraps up. And, you know, a lot of things can solidify in fall ball too. Uh, but, yeah, so starting pitching outfield, two biggest question marks. Yeah, and just talking about Wilkes, I think Walner kind of spoiled us all just with the way he came in his freshman <laughs> yes. year. I mean, yep. you're not going to have – freshmen aren't going to come in and hit like 19 home runs and have an 1,100-plus OPS. Mm-mm. Like, it's just it's not going to happen. Mm-mm. So, I think, uh, you know, we probably were out of line expecting Wilkes to have a, a huge year. And he did have some – he had some two it's huge moments. moments. Yeah. I mean, it almost reminded me of like when Drew Brees, because he had these two home runs, we ended up losing the game. Um, still, but it kind of reminded me of like when Drew Brees back in the day would throw for like 450 yards and the Saints would still lose. It was kind of like that. Like where 52-49. Yeah, yeah, where Wilkes hits those two big home runs to give us the lead, and we, um, you know, end up losing in the ninth. But uh, yeah, it started started to show some some uh, moxie. Uh, I guess is the only oh yeah, that was when he hit that home run of Rustin. They had a yeah. huge celebration. Started to started to uh, to me just find his confidence at the plate, um, which allowed him to. You know, for the coaching staff to feel good enough to, to stick him in in those big moments and for him to come through. And so, you, yeah, you, you hope he can build off of that. Yeah. So, I, th- I think just kind of closing, like you're saying, starting pitching, you got to find a closer slash stopper. Um, 
outfield, just kind of configure that, configuring that. Um, it feel, feels pretty set. So I think, you know, right now, just looking at the team, I mean, I think it's about the same expectations as most years where you expect to be an at-large team for a regional. You expect to be either one or two in the uh, conference standing. So I don't I don't think the expectations this year are really much different than any other year. I think it's about the same. So Yeah, I think you're right. And I, and I honestly think the, the pressure is starting to mount to take that next step into this to uh, – you know, have super regional expectations because we you have made the progress of of winning multiple games in the regional now for multiple years in a row and being one game away. Last year, um, I, I think the expectations may be a little bit higher this year, um, even with those big pieces graduating and getting drafted. Um, really quick before we wrap up. Well, yeah, oh, sorry, I, I know we're running long, but let me – Say what just about those expectations? Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I mean, you have seen progress in the postseason where, you know, back like in 2018, I think everybody kind of had a sour taste in their mouth after 2018 because yeah. you weren't really. I mean, after Stanley, you weren't really competitive. But in that 2019 regional, you were competitive in both games against LSU, and you won two games against um, Arizona State, who had you know first round, second round talent littered throughout the lineup. Yeah. And that was actually the first time we had actually been a power conference opponent in a regional. I think since the Georgia Tech regional. And then so in 2021, you know, you took that a step further where you're a game away from um, getting to a super um, where you beat not only Florida State, but you beat Ole Miss. USM had actually never beaten an NSEC team in a region before that uh, Florida was in a super. So, yeah, you are, you are seeing some strides in postseason play that you weren't necessarily seeing you know, mm-hmm. five or so years ago. So I think, um, yeah, like you're saying, uh, just got to take that next step. But you're seeing uh, progress uh, that you've – like I said, you weren't necessarily seeing uh, five or ten years ago in terms of uh, postseason. So I think, uh, yeah, program's taking some nice steps, and uh, you know, hopefully this will be the year that uh, we break through and get to that super. So pre-fall blind prediction, starting pitching rotation. Uh, I'm gonna say Friday night, Waldrop, Saturday Rogers, Sunday. Sunday, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Tanner Hall, but I, I kind of yeah, but I mean it's really Sunday's really tough because I, yeah. I feel like you can go with Etheridge, Boyd, Riggins, are all guys best. I mean all of those guys could go on Sunday for you. So I really feel like it's it's pretty jumbled. I mean I think a lot of guys with a chance, but I feel like just in terms of potential, mm-hmm. those first two guys have a pretty good chance. If you know if if they're clicking in the fall and then the in the winter. Those guys have a good chance to start. That Sunday, you got a ton of options in that Sunday spot and, and midweek. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, tough to say. But Sunday, I'm going to say – who did I say? I don't even remember who I said. On, oh, I, don't I think I said um, – I think you just I, named I, everybody. No, I, I said Hall, I think. Okay. I um, believe you. I think. But I'm kind of between him and Riggins. But I'm going to say Hall. I'm going to say, yeah. I'll, I'll switch those uh, those Friday and Saturday guys just based on the experience that Rogers brings in, um, and that's again pieces that you know could change throughout the year. Um, so so I'll go Rogers, Waldrop, and then Etheridge, which maybe might not be as realistic because a lot of times Barry slash Ostrander like to stick the left handed guy in the, in the middle, um, but. I, I, yeah, I feel really good about Rodgers and thinks he has a, a chance to push for that Friday spot. Yeah, kind of. I mean, just kind of wide open with you. You lose so much production from yeah. last year. 
Do we want to briefly talk about the yeah, conference games? How, how long have we gone at this point? This is <laughs> this is going to be far and away our longest episode. But I think episode. like like oh an hour twelve. Like the real the real uh, eagle heads. Uh, those are going to be the yeah, ones that yeah. are staying this long. But there's not a whole lot of games to preview just because we're getting in a conference season, so pe- teams are playing each other. So there's not as many games. Uh, but let me pull up. Uh, um, so Friday night, uh, Charlotte at FIU. Uh, FIU. <laughs> we didn't talk about this, but you know FIU. They posted on yeah. their their university like HR job board or whatever. Like we have a football, but apparently that's just something they do, according to Brett McMurphy or Which somebody. Is so strange. They, they, <laughs> all of the jobs are constantly listed. I guess so. Just people are always coaching and teaching for their job at uh, at FIU. So. Um, yeah, Charlotte FIU. Uh, Charlotte's three and a half point favorite. That's on Friday night on CBS Sports Network. Then uh, we talked about our game. Old Dominion of Marshall. Marshall big favorite. And they had twenty one points and expect Marshall to roll. Uh, FAU and UAB. That's an intriguing uh, interdivision um, matchup. Um, could you know maybe a conference USA championship preview, but that's in uh, that's in uh, in Birmingham. So UAB four and a half point favorite. UAB trying to bounce back uh, from that Liberty blowout. Um, so, then uh, MTSU at Liberty, uh, Liberty 19.5 point favorite. Liberty just playing all the Conference USA teams. Um, yeah, so Liberty probably going to win big there. Uh, North Texas at Mizzou, uh, you know, a couple years ago, maybe you think North Texas has a decent shot to win that, but Mizzou 19 point favorite, even though that they're not very good. Uh, but North Texas is really bottom of the barrel right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last game, uh, UTSA West Kentucky. Oh, that's probably the game of the game yeah. of the day, I would say. UTSA undefeated, but they're and Western is favored in that. Yes, right? Yeah. right. That's what we were saying on Sunday. Western three and a half point favorite. Um, none of Western's losses are really all that bad. Um, I don't think because they lost to Michigan State on the road, who's top twenty-five. They lost to Indiana home by two. Who Indiana? Uh, they're underachieving, but they're still Big Ten team has a decent shot to get to a bowl. Um, and then they lost by three at Army, which Army's Army is four to one. So Army's having a nice year. Um. So, yeah, they're putting up, like we've said, all year. They're putting up huge numbers offensively. I think they're among the nation's leader in passing and yards and rating and efficiency and all those things. So, um, that'll be an interesting game to see if uh, it's kind of one of the bigger tests UTSA has left going to WKU. So, we will um, we'll see. That'll be a good one. Should be uh, right under an hour and a half. Uh, we typically like to keep. Things under an hour, but this was just a big old fat preview of, of fall baseball. So if you have made it this far, you are hopefully better informed than you were when you started this podcast. And uh, maybe we'll touch on some things we see if, if we make those fall scrimmages next yeah. week. Um, but we will start to move into basketball as well. Um, and didn't didn't necessarily go into great detail um, on the UTEP preview, but I'll have a piece out on Big Gold Nation if you are a BGN subscriber, so shameless plug there, go check that out. Uh, a lot of great content. Uh, but man, we appreciate you joining us for Far and Away, the longest episode yeah, of Buzzer. We have so the, uh, on the um, we have like retention statistics that basically, like on the Anchor uh, website, they. Oh yeah, you. yeah, yeah. So I mean, I don't even know how accurate those are, but they kind of tell you like when people tune out. So people are tuning out by the end of this. We'll, we'll know. We won't know who they yes. are, but we'll know that people are tuning out. So, <laughs> yeah, we have the location. Yes, yeah. we have the IP address. That's right. Yep. So, yeah, yeah. not uh, quite, but yeah. yeah. But we 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 appreciate you listening um, and interacting with us. We'll have 
hopefully another live episode on Sunday. So tune in for that. If you don't follow us on Twitter at buzzardry pod, be sure to do that to stay up to date on all things buzzardry for Patrick McGee. My name is Ben Milam. Thanks for joining us. This has been Buzzer Dream. Thanks for listening, and be sure to share and leave a review. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Buzzer Dream Pod for all you need to know about the show. See you next time.